0: Welcome to the Lime Voice Network. We are chronic illness warriors, caretakers, and advocates who are overcoming illness in all of its many forms. We created this show to inspire, educate, and encourage you on your path to wellness. We're here to help you put the puzzle pieces of healing into place. Join us and our network of Lyme warriors as we discuss how fighting is a mindset, Healing consists of choices, and living is the outcome.
1: Hello, friends. Today's podcast is brought to you by these sponsors Urbane Medical. Urbane Medical is a boutique ketamine infusion center located in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. They provide a hospitable environment rather than a hospital environment. They're eager to accommodate your family in any way they can during your time of healing. Ketamine can promote a sense of well-being, decreases brain fog, and reduces chronic nerve pain. I interview the owner Jonathan in episode 109 for more information. I can attest to what a therapeutic environment they offer at Urbane Medical. And Jonathan Evertson, the owner, makes you feel safe and comfortable and also has some really fantastic playlists available upon request. I have seen with a number of my coaching clients that ketamine is a game changer on a number of levels. So if you are in the Scottsdale area, check out Urbane Medical. Invita Medical Center, a center of excellence for personalized oncology and Lyme disease treatment located in Scottsdale, Arizona. What defines Invita is the undeniable truth that every patient who has the courage to come to Invita and walk through their doors discovers the incredible healing and compassionate care that can only exist in a clinic that is radically focused on patient outcomes. They provide a focused team of people with an exceptional heart for serving their patients. At Invita, they have discovered a revolutionary solution for patients to help improve their quality of life called to speak with one of their patient care coordinators today invita helped save my life back in 2013 long before this podcast existed and they became a sponsor they also helped stop lyme carditis after getting reinfected a couple of years ago i highly recommend them and you can hear more about invita in episode 80 medical bill gurus The experts at Medical Bill Gurus are dedicated to innovative solutions for any medical billing scenario, which we all have in this community. Oh my gosh. With empathy at the forefront of their daily mission, Medical Bill Gurus is dedicated to being in the trenches with patients and raise awareness for the daily challenges facing them, from medical billing errors to raising awareness for their diagnosis. Medical Bill Gurus takes pride in speaking with patients every day and helping them find guidance on how to navigate our broken healthcare system. Their patient advocates are available to help reduce medical bills and assist patients with navigating a dynamic health landscape. I also interviewed Daniel Lynch, founder of Medical Bill Gurus, in episode 111. In addition to helping you get money back from your insurance company, If you need help deciphering what health insurance provider to choose, and I have done this several times a year for years now, or you are looking for a clinic that is covered by insurance, they are a great resource for all things related to medical bills, figuring out which insurance provider you could or should have. They're an awesome resource. Again, I use them multiple times a year. Give them a call. All right, now on to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Lime Voice. Let me just thank you for being here today. And I know I say this all the time, but I am so excited to talk to my guest today. Dr. Kelly Ray Brown is here talking about how to tame your inner critic and while also fostering your inner coach. And her and I have already had so much fun on the pre interview, and we could talk endlessly. Dr. Kelly Ray Brown, thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's a truly, it's an honor to be here. Well, let me tell you a little bit
1: about Dr. Kelly Ray Brown. She runs strengthandsensitivity.com. She has a PhD in philosophy, which is endlessly fascinating. I looked it up. It's the study of fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence. And that is probably what I like talking about way more even than Lyme disease specifically because wherever you are at right now, if you are laying on the couch, if you are laying in a bed, if you feel like your life is getting taken away from you or you are on the mend and heading towards recovery, everything we are talking about today is applicable to every single one of you listening. So Dr. Brown runs strengthandsensitivity.com. She is also the parent of a teenage daughter who she says is amazing and is her greatest teacher. She also has parents who have been her greatest mentors and cheerleaders, which is so neat by the way, that's just awesome to have that. She comes from a very diverse family that keeps her humble and grounded and is a California resident. She is a practical psychologist and mindset coach who is passionate about teaching others how to tame your inner critic and live your best life, which after existing and suffering becomes so so important when you are on the road to recovery living your best life. I feel like that is the path I've been walking for the since 2013 when I went to treatment at Invita Medical realized I wasn't going to die and had a future and that's been the journey I've been walking out for a long time. So, thank you so much for being here. Let's get started. Yay, I'm excited. <laughs> okay, tell us how you went from getting a PhD in philosophy to now coaching people on mindset as a full-time job?
2: Well, you know, honestly, it starts with my own story, just like you shared with your own journey. I mean, we all have a story of some kind. And quite honestly, I was getting really sick and tired of being sick and tired of living my story, which was that feeling like I was broken, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't valuable Mm. that I was maybe not lovable or that I was merely an object. And I think, honestly, it came about the same time that my daughter came. You know, I'm not going to say that she's my savior because that's not a true statement. But in that, she became my greatest teacher, meaning I wanted to be better Mm. in order for her to have a different opportunity in life. And I knew in order to do that, I couldn't be that hypocrite that... You know, don't go drinking as I'm drinking. I mean, I wasn't a drinker. I'm not a drinker. But just an example, I want to teach your kids, don't you're doing it yourself. I wanted to walk in alignment with my truth of what I wanted to be a model for her to teach her how that she could live her best life. And I had to learn how to do that for myself.
1: Hmm. So take us back to that moment where you decide, oh, I am not living my best life. Or you realize maybe it's not decide. (laughs)
2: Right. You know, it's a number of things, a number of events that go along the way. I mean, and many of us can relate to having red flags in our life. And, you know, you're just kind of knocking those red flags out of the way because, one, you don't want to acknowledge that they're there because if I acknowledge that there's red flags and I'm participating with these red flags, that I'm part of the problem as well as the solution. And the the other thing is, is sometimes we get so focused on the outcome that we're not even seeing where we're going to see how we got off course or that, you know, and and I was very prideful myself, you know, it was like, there was no way I was going to ever ask for help that, you know, that was a sign of weakness. That was a sign of, you know, you weren't good enough and I needed help being a single mom and how was I going to take care of my kid? How was I going to, you know, the things like health insurance and to be able to humble myself and go and ask for that was like I had just reached the darkest point of my life. And everybody has, I think, whatever they call their rock bottom or the dark night of the soul or, you know, that point where you're just kind of where the rubber meets the road, as my mom used to say. And we get those opportunities many times, I believe, throughout our lives. But it's in those opportunities is when do you finally say you're going to do something different and then actually take action towards that, even if you don't know how to do it. So can you give us an example of that? Like for you, you identified that
1: asking for help was a huge source uh, or a hu-
2: was it a fear? Was it something you
1: dreaded? It was
2: to ask for help in my mind. My belief system was that that was a sign of weakness. Hmm. And so therefore, to ask for help would then expose me as being weak. And for my ego or my inner critic, as I like to call her, that was was like the worst thing. That would be like getting caught somewhere in a crowd naked, you know? It would be the most humiliating thing in the world. So to be able to take all that, knowing that that's the energy that I have wrapped and encapsulated around the fear of asking for help and then going and actually proverbially standing somewhere naked to ask for help was like the scariest thing in the world. Hmm. I had to do it with my little daughter next to me, which that then inspired some guilt and shame because it was the one thing I never wanted her to see Mm. was me weak. And here I was having to be very, very vulnerable And I was so ashamed because I didn't, I didn't realize how much it meant for me not to have her see that. Like I didn't want her to be disappointed in me. Yeah. And that was, that was the worst. And then us having to walk out of this cold, cold building. I mean, I cried over that and I had to really work through the emotions and the process of, but what was your end game? My end game was I needed to make sure that we could get help you know in the form of health insurance to make sure that we were going to have those things available to us so but that's a whole process you have to go through and it's can take time you know yeah. it's not like you just walk out of there and be like Yep. Well, I'm going to go rationalize that and say, well, it's for their betterment. No, I mean, come on.
1: Right. Because there's two different there's a couple of different ways to look at that. Going going and applying for Medicaid or health insurance or food stamps or whatever it is that you are in need of does as a parent make you it can fill you with one. Obviously, you are vulnerable. If you're there, you're vulnerable. Um, and so it can fill you with guilt and shame and I have been there and I have experienced all of that and you do walk out like okay okay." you know for me I'm like there were so many things going wrong in my life because I had been disabled by Lyme disease I wasn't working and so it was like it kind of made sense to me but it was in complete contradiction to who I thought I was as a person and as a parent and so It's interesting because I have an uh, 18-year-old and a 21-year-old now, and we've talked through some of these things because they've, you know, seen my whole journey. But I have said specifically to my daughter about a situation. I said, you know, I'm afraid because I was so sick for so long that I taught you to tolerate things in your life that I would have never tolerated. (sighs) And I said, that scares me for your future because – and – A simple example would just be that our house was never in order. It wasn't, you know, if I bent over, I was probably going to pass out. And so the level of cleanliness and order that I would have normally had didn't exist for many years. But those were formative years for them. And to me, she said something really interesting. She said, no, mom. She said, I think it's the opposite. And she's young, so she's still figuring stuff out. But she said, I think it's the opposite because I've seen you fight for things. And so your daughter, you as a parent might have been in that moment thinking I'm the biggest failure that I need help. And this I'm filled with guilt, shame and regret. And as a kid, maybe you're feeling those same things to some extent, like depending on your upbringing or your perception of what's going on. But the other side of that can be like, oh, no, we were dealing with the reality of what was right then and there. And that's better to acknowledge what is going on than to linger in denial and pretend like, oh, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, and not take those necessary steps to get out of it.
2: Right? Because each individual, depending on whether you're an adult or a child, it doesn't matter, we all label experiences. And Mm. my experience that I was labeling as... I was doing this, having to get this insurance for my daughter and I. I was being triggered by shame, by guilt. Like, I wasn't good enough to take care of her. That's why I was having to come, in my mind, grovel for help, beg for help. I don't know how she labeled that experience. Like, you just gave the great example. She could have labeled this as, wow, my mom's doing whatever needs to do to take care of us we have experiences from the time we're extremely young that we we see it we feel it we experience it whatever it may be it doesn't have to be your parents pointing their finger at you saying don't touch the stove it's gonna burn you you can see oh crud mom touched the stove and burned herself so in my mind i program stove is hot it burns it hurts I'm going to label that as a negative. And then I'm going to go file that in that cabinet of don't do that. Mm. And then I'm going to have a cabinet. I you know, I, I share a lot with my clients. I, I think of the inner critic as like this little Einstein dude. Because I just think the wild, crazy hair is pretty funny. <laughs> and this little Einstein dudes inside of our head, our brain. And it's a huge room. Just imagine this huge room with all of these file cabinets in it. And so you have an experience of some kind, and he labels that experience and files it in the appropriate cabinet. That experience also creates an energetic feel inside of your body. So, for instance, maybe you see a funny movie, or, you know, I think of like America's funniest videos, and something funny happens. When you laugh, it's not just an outward expression. There's something internally that happens in your body. Your body feels lighter. Maybe your chest opens up. Maybe things feel light. Those we never have a problem with. We never say, doggone it, I wish I didn't feel so good or I wish I didn't feel so open and light and joyful. We don't even question those. We celebrate those when they come along. Yeah. The same is true if with guilt or shame or sadness or any of those things, those have an energetic feel inside of our body. When you think of those lower, quote unquote, vibrational feelings of shame, of guilt, of hurt, of anger, of anxiety, of stress, of depression, any of those even just us talking right now and bringing up those words, we could be potentially having a feeling inside of us hmm. of, oh, yeah, when I think of feeling sad or feel of hurt or that, my shoulders will kind of round a little forward. Maybe my head will tilt down a little bit. You know, maybe I kind of collapse inside of myself. Those things happen before we even are consciously aware that they're happening. Because we've been practicing them since we've been an infant, hmm. and so I, I know you and I both have talked about personal development and beliefs and that, and and that might just seem like a really woo-woo word out there, you know, because it's a big buzzword that's been happening over the last couple of years. Your shadow side, your limiting beliefs, your beliefs, and quite honestly, how many of us have actually been taught what those are? Very, they sound, very few. right, they just sound like a hocus pocus word or the latest buzzword that we're gonna say, but there's no substance behind it to understand. Okay, so you want me to write out my beliefs and then I need to just clear those up. It would be nice in theory if it happened that easily, but if we don't even know what they are, how do we even know where to begin?
1: Well, in beliefs that are tied to emotions, right? So a thought is just a thought until you attach some type of emotion to it, and then it becomes a belief, right? As far as I understand, scientists don't know where thoughts come from. They come, and once you attach an emotion to it, then it becomes a belief. So. If you are, and this is a journey my husband and I have gone on, is even to be accurately processing what you are feeling, what you are going through. Oh, okay, am I unrealistically carrying shame around because I've, you know, my life has completely shifted and is not what I thought it was going to be for a variety of reasons. So even to acknowledge that thought of like, okay, I'm carrying some shame around, you first have to be at a place emotionally where you are okay with having those emotions to begin with. And I know for my husband, he was not necessarily in, like, oh, if you feel anger, you need to just deal with your anger. If you feel sad, that's on you. You need to deal with your sadness. And so there, you have to first even acknowledge the emotions that you're feeling before you can actually figure out like what they mean to you. <laughs>
2: right, 100%. And some of them are more intense than others because we've continued to have experiences throughout our lifetime that have built those energetic feelings or emotions bigger and bigger so they're more impactful. So it's almost like pushing the snowball, right? You start out the little Mm -hmm. snowball and you just keep pushing it and pushing it. And then before you know it, it's bigger than you are. And you're really tired because you're just pushing this thing, but you don't know why you're pushing this thing. And now oh, wow. it's so big that people have disruptions. They have anger issues, for instance. I had a client that came to see me because she's like, I don't understand why I just get easily angry over things that shouldn't. I shouldn't be this angry about. And then we talked through what does that feel like? And it's like, I feel like my head's going to explode and my chest gets really tight and it Okay, great. Now we're, we're now kind of connecting into that feeling so we, we can know what it is. Let's go find out where it started. Hmm. Let's go on this journey of excavation to see where did this start? Because that, that rage or that that just comes out of nowhere didn't just happen yesterday. This is something that has been anchored into that file cabinet of beliefs that we talk about, the little Einstein guy. So interestingly enough, coming back to him for a second... So you're really little, you have all of these experiences, and when I say you have these experiences, it doesn't necessarily mean that you personally had them, in a sense that these things didn't personally happen to you, but maybe you witnessed them. And so based on your observation of what you saw, you're like, huh, that doesn't seem right. And then Einstein labels it as, well, that ain't right, and puts it there in that cabinet. There's another journey that comes down the road in your life that you kind of pause for a second and think, well, that's not right. Well, that just that instantaneous pause and thought of that's not right now has put another file in that cabinet. We do that enough times and we're not even consciously aware that we're thinking it. So the next time out in the future, we have that experience Einstein guy pulls it out and says, remember, this is what this is. And now you're like, I'm just mad before I even know that I'm mad because we're doing it from that unconscious state. If you think about when you first learned how to drive a car, you got in and you put your hands Why? you know, I was taught, put your hands on 10 and two and you adjust the mirror to make sure that everything's right. You consciously look to turn the key on, you put it into reverse or whatever you do that for a period of time, and six months down the road, you're just jumping in and flying down the road, be, and you haven't even consciously thought about doing any of those things at all because you've practiced them so much.
1: I just totally had a visual of that, and I'm teaching my 16 year old, he's getting his license in the process of getting his license. So we've been doing a number of rounds of driving and stuff. And it's funny because I think the visual that just popped in my head from what you're saying is that your inner critic is unconsciously driving so many of your either actions or behaviors or thoughts that it takes a lot of awareness and understanding to be like, who's driving this decision? Who's driving, who's driving this feeling? Who, who's in charge here?
2: (laughs) Right. So some people consider, Uh, I don't know why. I just like the word inner critic. And and she's not always critical. I identify as her, but she's not always critical. I I just think she's somebody who, you know, they would have used the term wounded inner child, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. We all, if we've been on this planet longer than five minutes, five years we have experiences already in our file cabinet, labeled ready to go. Mm-hmm. We seem to like to work on automatic pilot, right? We just like the less things I have to think about, the better, because we are processing millions of bits of information every single day. And if we actually had to take the time to focus on every little bit of information that we're receiving, oh my gosh, we would go nowhere. So we kind of are uniquely designed in the sense that practice experience, done. I don't even have to think about that anymore. I need to do that. The only time change becomes difficult is when we are pushing against the new. You know, for instance, maybe... Just as a silly little test, I I brush my teeth, I turn the water on, get my toothbrush wet first, put my toothpaste on, and I don't even think about that. But if I want to do an example of change for myself and just see what comes up for me, I will go in and put the toothpaste on and then put it under the sink to get wet. My inner critic immediately is like, that's not the way you do it. You're supposed mm-hmm. to get the toothbrush wet first and then put to the toothpaste. Now, I could either say, yes, that's the way, yeah, that's just the way my life is going to be. So I better just suck it up and be glad for that. Or, yeah, I'm going to have to focus consciously not wetting my brush first, putting on the toothpaste, then wetting it for a period of time before that now becomes the new behavior. It seems really arduous and difficult and challenging before it becomes that automatic new way of believing, new way of thinking, new way of behaving. But that's where we get to really know our inner critic. Hmm. Because that's when they're usually piping up the most. They're not piping up when we're just driving down the road listening to our tunes in our car. You know, we already know how to do this.
1: Yeah, you're right. That is when it pops up. And it pops up, I mean, when you were talking, I was just thinking, I kind of call it creation mode versus survival mode. And that's because I've come out of survival mode and lived in survival mode for a long time. And I mean, I spent two years in bed, I spent seven years in excruciating pain, I spent a number of years with neurological issues. And so the definition of disease is to not be at ease. There's no ease with involved. You're not at ease if you are struggling with disease. And so and Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what that was one of those early things that got taken away is you're not you're not at rest. You're not in in homeostasis. You're really you're in a state of crisis for whatever reason on whatever on all these different levels. And so uh, for me, survival mode kept me alive. Survival mode empowered me to swallow 65 supplements a day to keep making those phone calls to just keep doing what what I knew to do. So I could even as a disabled, wounded, broken person, I could lay down my head at night and think I've done what I know to do, you know, on whatever level that was. But survival mode is not a place that you can stay as you walk into recovery Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: and I I. I won't show them. I have two big balls that like kid, kid balls that are, you know, I don't know, bigger than I am, uh, two feet by two feet. And on one of them, one is blue and I have all the negative emotions, emotions related to survival. So judgment, shame, criticism, I am uh, lack of worthiness. And then on the other ball, which is red, I have all positive emotions. And I literally wrote on one survival mode and creation mode. Because for me, I needed something that if I was not present, if I was living in survival mode, I would literally go pick up the ball that said survival mode and be like, why am I doing that? Like physically pick it up so that I could emotionally evaluate what was going on. But that's very difficult when you when survival mode has saved your life and kept you alive and you've been there a long time. Like I I have a solid seven years of survival thinking that did keep me alive, that pushed me to do the, all these at-home protocols for years and years and prioritize my time differently than anyone else I knew. But that is not... that Those mentalities and mindsets and survival techniques aren't what make, puts me back into thriving and creation mode.
2: 100%. And if I can just add on to that, it becomes our identity. Yeah. So I can say say now that I'm a former sexual abuse, rape survivor. For so many years of my life, I was living in survival mode of being molested from the time I was five until I was raped in my late teens. Mm. And beyond that, for probably another 20 years almost from that time period, I was living in survival. And strategically, you know, maneuvering around just so that I could do everything I could to never have that happen to me again. But I wasn't living. Oh, gosh. I was constantly in playing defense, if if you will, like on a football team. I was not playing offense. I was not living my life. And so to finally get to that point where I it got heavy. Remember, again, the rubber met the road. It was like, okay, now I have this experience that's coming on board this child of mine. And t- do I want her to energetically pick up and adopt these same survival skills for herself? Or do I want to model something different? I wanted to model something different. And I had to, quite honestly, I went through a grief process. Of having to de-identify myself hmm. as a survivor, because it was it was my identity, it was who I was, and whether you know there was a part of me that hated that, I hated that that happened to me, that you know the worst thing that could have ever happened, and then there was the fighter inside of me, that side that says. Okay, so that was, excuse the expression, that was shitty. I I hated that I had to go through that. I hated that that experience. But doggone it, there has to be more to my life, whatever that may be, than this. And so that was a very pivotal moment, too, in my life where I had to say, what am I going to lose if I take on the idea of somebody who's choosing to live? whatever that is as opposed to continuing to be a survivor yes it served me well but it at some point it wasn't allowing me to grow
1: yeah yeah wow yeah there's such a huge difference between survival and growth it's literally i i mean i've said this on the podcast so many times uh, you know fighting is a mindset healing consists of choices and then living is the outcome and one of the things that I have, I've done a ton of inner work and coaching and counseling for years and years now, and I am afraid of two things. And I'll tell you, tell you guys these two major fears that I have. I was literally doing a two-hour coaching cor- course this morning about this. One is lack to live with lack when you have medical issues to live with lack can literally cost you your life. It's, it's not even a pretend fear. It's an actual fear that I wrestle with on ongoing, ongoingly, but the other one that I have, and this is because of my experience and I would say this is my bigger fear is to exist and not to live. Mm. It's unacceptable to me at this point in my life to exist on any level because of what it really is costing you.
2: Right, yes, and, and I'm so in agreement with you on that because that's how I felt was, all right, so these really horrific things happened to me. They were heinous, they were awful, they were all of those things, absolutely indeed. One, how many times did I continue to abuse my own self with the memory and the thought of the story of what happened to me? Far more than any of those events that ever happened in my life. And I can say wow. that admittedly now I was, I was again so prideful before, and when I was in my survival mode, I would have never admitted to anyone that I continued to violate myself and my own mind by replaying the story over and over and over again. And that was huge to let that go. And like you said, to just not exist. If I was going to go through all of that. I was doggone gonna be sure that I could help anybody else that ever went through something horrific like that because then that gave me a better purpose and meaning of life and yeah. of living. Yeah, well, and
1: I, that's why we started the podcast was I'm like, okay, what do I wanna do with the rest of my life? I wanna stop people from suffering the way I did. I want them to know that they can fight that there are choices that they can make to come out of suffering whether you go around mainstream medical whether you embrace alternative treatments whether you if all if all you can do is sit on your bed and watch TV are you watching TV that builds you up or tears you yes. down right i mean yes. that's a simple choice are you watching i quit i i do now watch some dramas but i think i went through about 10 years where i could not watch a drama because if they were experiencing whatever horrific thing they were experiencing like just analyze what you're watching i don't want to feel anxious i don't want to feel the emotions of a rape i don't want to feel the emotions of being cheated on i don't want to feel the all these emotions i'm like why why am i why am i listening to this versus even when you start to understand how your body is created built, designed, whatever you want to call it, like our genetics, our epigenetics can we can literally turn on healthy cells by laughing for one hour a day. 100 percent.
2: It's funny that you're sharing that about the shows that you watch. I felt the same way about watching Lifetime TV or Hallmark movies. Oh, it's the worst. (laughs) It was the worst. It was like, okay, so I'm not being violated again, but I'm violating myself by comparing my life to not being this this what it is on the screen so then it just compounds more garbage inside of me that makes me feel bad about myself right so it can go either way it could be like don't don't go watch the horrible traumatic stuff that could really pound in some more stuff into you and then don't go look for something just so that you could judge your own life against being done yeah.
1: And the amount of conscientiousness and awareness and personal growth it takes to arrive at these conversations, to me, I, like I, I understand there's so many doctors who are coming out within in, in the Lyme realm and talking about the spiritual emotional component and that if you don't go back and address areas of loss if you don't go back and for even people the statistic it's coming out in the new documentary the monster inside me and I forget I think it's Dr. Klinghart but don't quote me on that he says specifically if you have had abuse from your childhood and you do not go back and deal with that within your Lyme journey the chances of you staying in remission are very slim and I see it over and over again. Like if you do not dive deep, deep into wanting wholeness, wanting to dig through all those areas of your life where you are existing instead of thriving or living, if you can't go through that process and that's years, right? Like there's no magic bullet. You don't snap your fingers. If you can't, right. if you can't do that, then aren't you kind? Ca- to me. And maybe that's why I just don't want to exist. Then I'm living by other people's emotions and other Mm -hmm. people's scripts and other people's agendas. And I'm like, Oh, I don't like
2: this. Well, I'm thinking about, you know, we talk about the little Einstein guy being in our head in the file cabinet room. But here's the other thing that some people may not know is every one of those experience experiences have also been Used in your cellular body. What do you so, mean by that? For example, somebody who's been raped or sexually abused, very good chance that where the trauma took place, yes, emotionally in my head, it's playing over and over and over again. And, you know, then it's triggering all of the sensories in my body to have those feelings of flight or fight. But I struggled for years with having low back issues. Hmm. Also having, um, bladder infections repeatedly. No, I never equated one with the other, but as soon as I cleared up my trauma from those experiences, suddenly I have no more low back pain. Suddenly any of those bladder infections that I was having regularly gone. Wow. Right. They store, those things store in your cellular body. They could store in your shoulder. They can show, they can store anywhere, you know, like, uh, Louise. Hey, I don't know if you study any of her stuff, but she's uh-uh. got a, oh my gosh, you have to get her book. It's called, you can heal your life. Okay. And in there, she has a list of every possible thing that could be going wrong with you, physically, has a metaphysical meaning to it.
1: Okay, say more. I have 600 questions to follow up with.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So. But it kind of helps, like, for instance, uh, I also have done massage therapy before. And so let's say you're working on a client and... You're feeling things in their legs that are really stuck or in their feet. They're like, man, what's going on with your foot? And I had gotten to be tuned in that when somebody's having problems with their feet, hey, are you having a problem? Are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling like you just don't know what direction to take in your life? And of course, they think you're this genius because you figured this out. No, it's just because I've studied it for long enough to realize it's like being stuck. I don't know where to step. And so it's just manifesting itself inside the physical body. Wow. Having the awareness of that can be able to be, make all the difference in the world to make somebody else aware. And it's usually within, I'll ask them every time, has there's been something going on in the last 30 to 60 days per chance? Oh my gosh, yes, this, this, and this has been going on. They had already checked out of it. Conscious thinking wise, because they've either justified, rationalized, made up their mind. It was what it was. And now I'm going to go on with my life. Their physical body hadn't released it yet. And so you couldn't release it until we brought them consciously back into the thought of what was going on. And you could almost immediately feel some of those tensions in their body leaving. It's the most incredible thing I'd ever felt and witnessed I don't know that I would have been a believer if I hadn't actually been a part of the process to see that happen. They taught us that in massage school and I'm like, oh, okay. But to actually bear witness to it, it was like, this is, our bodies are amazing and they, they have so much information to teach us and it's us tuning into it. I'm reading The Body Remembers. Oh,
1: I must've moved it. The Body Remembers which is just phenomenal. It talks about all this stuff. And then also the Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. Mm, Yes. And it's funny. It's so funny that you brought this up because a few minutes ago in our conversation, I had wrote down a question to ask you is you were talking about body parts being tied to an emotion. And I was going to ask you, do you think that there is relevance to where you are experiencing some, a pain or a symptom of some kind and emotions being attached to that? Yes. Which absolutely. I mean, you answered that, but it's interesting because I I'm doing this meditation, a new meditation with Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's one of his, his ones, but one of, and I've done several different forms of meditation and think it's a great practice just in general to have done a bunch of different ones because some of them like leave a lot of open space and some of them actually tell you what to think or focus on and you know there's benefit in all of them but one of his most recent one that I've just been doing in the last few weeks specifically tells you to whatever you're feeling so for me and I think I've said this on air but one of the limiting beliefs that has come with Lyme for me, has been this feeling of being an indentured servant, and I feel indebted to the hundred thousand dollar problem that we have over and over again. And you can pass Lyme down to your children. I have two kids with Lyme. I have a kid who's need to go through treatment. So it's not even like me and my treatment is over. Mm. Uh, I'm good. I'm in remission, but I I don't, I don't know what the future will hold. And I'm also having to still deal with it because my son is in it. And so for me, I went through this whole process over a couple of weeks of like, where do I feel? Because the thought of like, okay, I know I have this sense of indebtedness because of what the illness has done to me, has cost me, but also not wanting to carry that with me any further once I kind of identified it. But Like, I feel that it took me a long time, several meditations to figure out where I I didn't know where I felt that emotion, but I feel it in my throat. Mm. I don't know exactly what that means yet, but that's not a good thing. I'm like, what is that? What is that? Like feeling like I'm choking or, you know, like losing my breath or. But that's a whole new thing for me, I think, is understanding where you feel an emotion in your body.
2: Well, and thinking about, you know. And maybe this is a little bit too woo woo, but I think of chakras and, you know, those are energetic things. And so your throat is a chakra and those would be asking, where am I either not speaking my truth? Where am I not speaking up? Where might I feel like I don't have a voice?
1: Oh, that's fascinating. Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to be so fun to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things you said in the pre interview that I just thought was so fascinating, and this again is, I feel like, a newer concept to me in the last couple of years, is the power that our emotions hold within us. And that's one of the things I've learned through meditation in the last couple of years is that as you release those negative energies, those negative beliefs, that, correct me if I'm saying this wrong, that those the opposite, the positive energy comes to you or is released within you. So you don't, you're not, you don't have to, you can't create new energy in a sense, but you can move energy,
2: right? You can. So one of the um, techniques that I do with my clients is called, it's a mental and emotional release technique, which essentially the goal is to let's go find the root cause of this belief. And it's interesting because some people will come in and think they know what the root cause is because it's the thing that's irritating them the most. Like my client, I talked about being angry. That wasn't the root cause. That was the representation of how it came out, but that wasn't the root. And when when we got to the root, she was just like, oh my gosh. So when we go through the release of this, t- just to give kind of a visualization, of how the release kind of looks like it's like we're sending Einstein to that cabinet with whatever that root is let's just okay. for the sake of this say shame right okay. that's an emotion it's a feeling we send him to that where that started and all of the things that have piled up clears out that file cabinet so clearing out that negativity as you talked about Then immediately going into a hypnotic state or you're kind of halfway in there and then we're filling that cabinet back up with positive anchored in uh, affirmations, positive thoughts. Because here's the thing I learned about when I first started learning this technique was, okay, we're getting rid of the the negative emotion or we're getting rid of the charge because that's what really fuels us is the charge. But then this file cabinet's empty and it can make people feel emotionally like there's a void, like there's an emptiness. And my thought behind that was I'm a little afraid that if there's too much void or too much emptiness, it's going to scare people and they're going to want to go grab those things that are familiar, which is the things that we just purged out of there.
1: Hmm.
2: So if we can fill that cabinet back up with things that are going to be empowering, that are going to be sustaining and strengthening and all of that there's no gap there's no void and they're able to then start practicing the new way of wanting to be so for every
1: in your cabinet of shame whatever that entails you go in and you identify a specific feeling or experience related to shame and you not only just whatever process you go through to release that But you supplement that in a sense, that void of energy or that void of something, you put something there that benefits you. So an affirmation. Yes.
2: Okay. Correct. And it's got to be something that you anchor in. So it's something you're going to have to repeat. I, you know, I think you and I both are familiar with Tony Robbins work and his is incantations as opposed to affirmations. For him, affirmations are just fluffy words that we say because we want to feel better. His incantations are you take those words like, you know, I'm strong. Let's say I'm healed. I'm alive. Whatever the word is that you're going to want to say. And you actually are using your hands or he does it in a physical form where I'm repeating it as I'm tapping my body. So I am strong. I am lovable. I am whole. I am perfect. I am complete just the way I am because we're anchoring in that new feeling that goes along with those words. Otherwise, they're just words. You have Mm. to because that's what we're filling up, right? Because those other things already had a feeling behind them. And we didn't even have to say, oh, I wonder what that shame thing felt like. Not good. <laughs> no, and we don't even have to think about it. We can just automatically go to feeling shameful. Yeah. Without us even being consciously aware of it. But that's how we talked about the toothbrush, changing the way we do the toothbrush. The same as once we've gotten rid of, let's say, shame as the example, is then anchoring in that which we are. Yeah. You know, and it's important that we anchor in what we are what we're so choosing. that we can become more of that. Right.
1: Like not what was imposed on us, not what we endured, not what we survived, what we are choosing. I choose to live.
2: I choose to laugh. I choose joy. I choose celebrating all of the successes,
1: big or small. I think one of the there's a couple a couple thoughts here. It's very difficult when you are dependent on people. If you are truly disabled and cannot care for yourself, it's it is truly hard. And I I know through talking to hundreds of people in coaching calls that if you are truly dependent and vulnerable, if you're disabled and you cannot for X number of years or sometimes it's permanent, but so many of our people are in temporarily disabled situations, temporary being multiple years and or decades. But it's a hard process to build yourself up on a regular basis when you essentially don't really have anything that the world considers valuable to show for it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking today earlier about, and I, I was going to look it up before the show because something told me to, and I just didn't get a chance, but the parable of the two wolves, and I don't know if you've heard the Uh -uh. story, like there's, and I'll have to see if I can get it and send it to you. But it's like this battle between the two wolves that we have inside of us.
1: Oh, you know, I do know this
2: story. Yes. Yeah. So the one's wanting to fight and basically knock us off, and the other one is the the light, the positive. The, you know. So which wolf? Which wolf are we feeding? Yes. So, yes, I totally understand that for many people that are in a situation like what you described about they are i guess for a lack of better words at the mercy of somebody else but that somebody else doesn't have the ability to control what it is that you have inside your head
0: so if that's
2: getting somebody to or listen to your show if that's what they get dialed into they're gonna get that that they can remember i need to feed that wolf i need to feed the wolf that knows i am worthy i am deserving i am lovable As opposed to letting the surroundings eat you up.
1: That's a good analogy for that story. Let me read it. I just pulled it up here. Oh, I'll read it. The story of two wolves. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is angry, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside of you and inside every person, too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply pr- replied, the one you feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of going back to creation mode versus survival mode. Right. Are you feeding your inner in, indentured servant or are you f- feeding <laughs> feeding the victor? Like, you know, what whatever. Right, the... are you
2: feeding the warrior? You know, warriors fall down. Mm. The difference is is a warrior gets up, it doesn't matter. The warrior is whatever you make it inside your mind. You know, you look at Stephen Hawking, I mean, what a brilliant, brilliant man. Everything in life told him he, 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 you know, he could have chose the other wolf, right? He could have chose to say he had all these disabilities and all of these things that would, he would never be anything. But he chose not to, to go down that road. And yes, we may, I, my parents, like I said, or you said earlier, was they were my greatest mentors and my greatest cheerleaders. I was blessed. They didn't teach me about beliefs. They didn't teach me about you know, values, they taught me manners. Mm. But, you know, they weren't necessarily, you know, in some ways, I guess I could say I had a leg up because I had parents who cared, who showed up in my life, who celebrated me and schooled me along the way too. when I needed to be put into check. I know that some people haven't had that fortune. And yet there's people who have had way worse than me who are doing amazing too. Yeah. And that's because they chose that.
1: Right. Yeah. It just really does come down. There's so much we can't control, but it does come down to choice over and over again. So let's shift gears a little here. You had said something in our pre-interview that I want to address because I just thought it was such a powerful way of thinking I have said, and anyone who is in the chronic illness realms knows our medical system is so, so broken. I believe, in my personal opinion, that we are living in socialized medicine, and I think we have a lot of socialized aspects of our country, even educationally, and some stuff that's been unfolding most of my lifetime, but... My experience has been within the medical realm, it just being so, so broken. And it took a lot of years for me to realize that uh, the physicians I were seeing weren't even trained on how to heal. That that was a huge epiphany for me. I'm like, oh, even if they can figure out what was wrong with me, they don't know how to help me get better. They can hand me prescriptions. And I, I have already endured the legacy of living out the Western medicine <laughs> prescription mode of dealing with things I don't don't, I'm slaughtering that but our medical system is what it is and yet there's still choice involved in navigating our medical system so give me your take and your how do you so much of my coaching calls people want to tell me how broken the medical system is and I'm like yeah
2: yeah (laughs) and if we know that then how do we for lack of better words how do we play with that what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, if you know that it's broken, then then you have to know that it is. And take what works for you and let the rest go. Maybe that's also being open to alternative care. Maybe it's being more open to holistic or Ayurvedic or mm-hmm. some kind of Eastern philosophy, maybe it's natural path, you know, maybe it's the food that you're eating. But if we're continuing to look at a a closed, broken, dilapidated door as our savior, I don't know that we're going to get too much from it. It's like, take what works, understand this is how the system works, know that, take it, and then move on, move to where you could Benefit Because I'm sure, like you shared, you got all those prescriptions, but I also heard you say that what really helped was all of, I think you said it was 65 different types of holistic type things probably you were taking. Oh, absolutely.
1: Orthomolecular medicine and juicing and detoxing totally saved my life. Yes. I mean, their Western medicine was involved and I did pulsated antibiotics at Invita through first time in 20. 13 second time in 2018 I think it was or 2019 I've done two rounds of massive antibiotic treatment plus tons of other antibiotics but yes the things that have healed me and have restored my life have been high doses of IV vitamin C and (laughs) ozone therapies and all sorts of alternative stuff
2: right well and that's because you chose not to just look at the broken system as being the only source
1: You said and I had created such a visual for me. You said you decide to not look at the medical system as a savior. And I I don't know that I've articulated that. That just was a huge visual. I'm like, I know for a fact. And I don't know that I specifically ever thought that, but I just followed the system and was doing what I knew to do. But people absolutely do think that the medical system is a savior. So that's a whole like epiphany for a lot of people in coaching sessions is like, hey, you have to fight. Like no one. I tell people no one is going to save you. You have to do this. I am literally right. My next book will be become your own damn hero is going to be the title to my next book, because whether you and there's nothing wrong in and of itself of hoping for a savior unless you give your power away to it right like it's okay to be saved it's okay to be built up by something else or a system or a person unless you're giving your immediate present power and away to something Right? Does that make any sense?
2: Yeah, it does. It, uh, one of my friends, she she was uh, in Western doing Western medicine for a treatment, and because she didn't know what was going on, well, they figured out that there was something happening with her. I think it was her kidneys, and so they gave her medicine. She took the medicine, and then she'd go back to get assessed. And they're saying your kidneys are getting worse, and you know. There's no hope, essentially, and, you know, it looks like probably dialysis or something like that. Well, thankfully, she had the fortitude and the fight in her to say, that's not how I want this story to end. So she contacted, was referred to somebody outside of her medical community that she was seeing, said, maybe you should talk to a naturopath. You know what would it hurt to talk to somebody just to get different insight different viewpoint so she started taking this all plant-based type stuff and then she went back in 30 days to her medical doctor they ran the same test they've been testing her which was telling her she basically was going to die that i don't know what's happened but your tests have improved And she's like, I'll tell you what happened. I went to this naturopath. I'm doing X, Y, Z. And the medical professional said, I'm going to warn you not to do that. That's not FDA approved, blah, 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 blah. So she went and another 30 days later goes and gets tested again. So she used the medical industry as a gauge for her progress,
1: Ooh, I like. She this.
2: used the other as the healing. So when she goes back in sixty days, the doctor says, "I don't know what happened, but your kidneys are one hundred percent functioning. I don't know what happened," and she said, "I can tell you what happened. You told me I was going to essentially die, and I chose to live." Hmm. And I thought that was just so powerful that. One, I give her so much credit that she was willing to go outside the norm, the norm of what her family thought she should do, the norm of what her friends or society or anything thought she should do, and got more information. And as a result of that, fought for herself.
1: Wow. And that's what I see with all my coaching clients. Those are the listeners we have if they're listening, they're fighting on some level, right? Or they want to fight in some new way. And you do, you have to think outside the box. You have to give up. I've had so many coaching clients say to me, well, if a treatment plan was effective, it would be covered by my insurance. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're living in that land of illusion because that is not going to happen. They are a company. They are for-profit companies. And you are the product that they make money off of. Believing that, I mean, let's all hope, let's live there for a moment and believe that the system is actually designed to heal you. It's not, it's just absolutely not. But to look at it as a gauge, I think is a valuable marker because we do have some phenomenal aspects of Western medicine, especially for acute things.
2: But 100% and to remember that Westernized medicine is focused in one direction. All of their training, all of their experience and knowledge is focused one way. Eastern medicine is; they're not looking at Western medicine as their model of how they want to. They have their own beliefs and modalities and treatments that work for them. So it's like, if we understand that, then let's let's play. Let's play in a different Mm. couple of arenas and see. Yes, you can use the Western for, like you say, the gaugeability. Are you progressing? Let them scratch their heads that you're progressing in the right way. Let them boo-hoo your success. It's just bumping up against their own belief because their belief is it should be this way. That's not going to be all of Western medicine. You're going to have people even in the Western world. And if you're fortunate enough, you might find one that is open to these other things. But you know, I don't know that those are far and few between that are there. Be your own advocate.
1: I love that. And I think one of the things you had said in our pre-interview is you said, it's not personal. The system is right. broken. Don't make it a personal thing. And I have made it personal. Like what if I spent seven hours trying to get a prescription refilled, it took 12 phone calls and I had to talk to three different offices. I'm like starting to lose it. I'm like, I've, this has consumed my adult life. I hate this game. If but then it becomes personal. If, for me, if I, I just really appreciated when you said, don't let it be personal. I'm like, okay, it is what it is. The system is broken. And when you know the system and I've seen for so many years, doctors fighting just as hard as patients to treat each other, you know, pa- doctors want to treat and heal. Patients want to heal and be treated. And we're fighting yes. the system that exists and- okay, that's not personal. Just know that it's there. Use it for how it serves you and then go around it.
2: (laughs) Right. Learn how to play it. You know, when I think about going to get your driver's license at DMV, I mean, that's a system, right? We have one system for getting our driver's license and it's such a huge monster. And we're just one little person trying to get our car registered or get our driver's license that it's almost like not even a, even playing field. But if you understand, Oh, this is a, a structure hmm. of processes that they're not doing this to me. It's not personal. I get to choose if it's personal or not. I get to choose if I'm offended by how long I have to wait on the phone. Right. I get to choose how irritated I am because you know, another one of my appointments got canceled. And knowing that in those choices, what am I feeding myself? What is the fuel in irritation? What is the fuel in disappointment? What's the fuel in sadness and grief and anger? How much is that impacting your current situation?
1: Yeah, so that leads right into, right, your own inner critic when you're sitting on the phone for the umpteenth time pissed at the world pissed at the medical system because you're having to refill something and it shouldn't be this hard are you inner critic right are you are you feeding something that benefits you are you living in survival mode or are you going to shift and live in creation mode and i remember my my son nathan who is 16 his health just has gone downhill this last year and we're starting a bunch new in february he's starting a whole new treatment program for lyme and um he had a series of surgeries that triggered a bunch of stuff and for about 2 months literally could just eat soup and i remember just getting really tired of making healthy soup over and over again and <laughs> and i said and i wrote myself a note i can say oh i have to make soup today or i get to make soup today yes I have to do it either way. I'm going to feed my kid. I'm going to feed him good food. Like, But what energy and what what I'm putting into it, and it was a game changer for me. I looked at yes. that note card for several weeks. I'm like, okay, I get to make soup today or whatever. I get to do an enema. I get to juice for myself. Those are choices. Right.
2: And how many times could you, you know, it would have been really easy to flip the switch and let your inner critic say, oh, have to make soup today and then just almost kind of the ridiculousness of it is you could almost make yourself laugh silly over oh i get to make soup today is as, as ridiculous as that it sounds it just put a smile on my face thinking of that i have to never puts a smile on my face <laughs> ever huh? Yeah, you're right.
1: Well, and I mean, you've seen those studies about, uh, uh, about uh, they're on YouTube where they take water and one of the water containers is getting fed like positive things and happy music and the other container of water is getting fed negative stuff. And then they measure the energy. And so if we don't think that everything we are doing is impacting us, epigenetically emotionally our ego you know inevitably our finances or the decisions we're making the opportunities we take or don't take man every it, it comes it makes you realize that everything
2: matters right and everything is energy yes. we get to put the vibration on the energy it's i so, mean we have so much control and so much power that we inadvertently just give away to circumstances to situations we forget how much power we have
1: I think we especially forget when we're being victimized in some capacity right or oppressed maybe you're not being victimized or, or maybe you're being oppressed maybe you you know your body has been in so much pain that you can conclude quite easily that you would be better off not alive Mm-hmm. I mean, I know so many of our listeners are at this place on a moment-by-moment basis where they're choosing to keep pushing forward. They're choosing to keep fighting. They're choosing not to cave into the sorrows, the fears, the grief, the shame, whatever whatever comes, comes. So one of the things that you had mentioned is talking about, well, one, your meditation practice, which meditation has just been huge for me on a lot of levels, as far as identifying those limiting beliefs. But you talk about identi you talked about identifying your inner critic.
2: <laughs> yeah, so um some people may hear again, another kind of grouping of buzzwords that are I've noticed happening over the last four or five years is your inner villain, your lizard brain, your monkey mind, the uh, You know, the thoughts that just keep spinning around in your head. And for me, I was like, that doesn't feel very personal. I just that still feels outside of me. And I'm realizing these things that are happening are happening inside of me. They are me on some level. So I was I just got curious. I wanted to know what this was and what I could name it or whatever. And so, like you said, in, in meditation, I just asked and kind of how I came up with the inner critic. But I wanted to know, who were you? And this name came to me, Trudy. So Trudy is my inner critic. And in my mind's eye, I had this this flash came before me of this really surly, tough-looking, snarky teenager. <laughs> I went, oh. Huh okay, I I see you, Trudy. I'm a little scared of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yet it was so powerful because now I had somebody that I could talk to. I had somebody I could grapple with. I had somebody who I could, if I could tame them, then I could remain more in control of my own life that I was wanting to create for myself. Hmm. I had to learn her languaging. I had to learn what it was that she needed. So we because- just- Would you say that like your inner critic is your shadow self? Yeah, that would be a way of saying it. It's also your wounded child, the one that started labeling all of those experiences, whatever they may be, whether you experienced them, witnessed them, heard them, or didn't do any of that, but you just decided this is what this experience is going to mean to me. So for for those of you who don't understand the
1: shadow side of things, I'll just give you a very quick example. Like I grew up in a very um my dad was a pastor and so i grew up in a very altruistic household and in an altru there's some great benefits of being involved in a household like that you learn to think of others first you serve people you you meet people's needs you you know in a sense it's a form of ministry you're ministering to people wherever they are hurt and broken uh the shadow side of that is that you or for me this was my example you may not learn to have boundaries because other people's needs are more important than your own or you're expected to give and or serve and that might not be what is best for you and for me that became so apparent and abundant when I literally was losing the ability to get up and function and I remember telling my dad who is a pastor like I don't know how I fit in the church anymore I can't be involved where does that leave me and honestly the church did not have answers for me so there's every Everything. My parents are also like my parents have been like your parents. They are my biggest cheerleaders. They have been a huge support to me. They have believed me as I was on the couch for years and years and they've done whatever they could to support. So there's benefits of both sides of of these different life experiences that we have. But if they're not balanced and understood, you could come, you could have a perspective that altruism is the thing, the aspect of life that you should most pursue. Well, that can leave out financial intelligence, that can leave out a lot of other aspects of life. And if you're not aware of the shadow side of things, I think that's when really the shadow can most define you. So you're identifying that shadow side of here's some really good aspects of who I am and where I'm at in life. But the critic side of me, that critic side, how do, how do I control, how do I manage the control that has over my life, right?
2: Right. Yeah. So when I think of my Trudy, I mean, kind of what was her biggest thing was once you didn't have a voice, you know, like you're talking about the shadows. So my parents taught me manners, you know, so that I could be a, a person that was polite, that was please and thank you and Yes and no, and those kinds of things, so that I could present myself as not a spoiled brat, just kind of putting it plain and bluntly. Hmm. The shadow side to that was being maybe criticized. Maybe it was, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. Right. It doesn't really matter. It's what what did I interpret all of that as when I was young, and what did I build a belief around that? So as I, you know, had my sexual abuse, immediately I put down that I was just an object. I Mm. was not a person. I was, you know, I was not lovable. This is all I was good for. This is all I'm ever going to amount to. And so lots of shame. So Trudy, when there was aspects in my life happening that were triggering Those feelings of I'm not good enough, I'm not valuable, I'm not lovable. That would be the thing that would be coming forth in my life. And then I would be operating from that position. I became the I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. I would allow other people to take advantage of me, I would allow my voice to not be heard. I allowed myself to not see all of the red flags that were coming through my life because I just didn't know any different. That's what operating from Trudy is like, coupled with, and it sounds so ridiculously weird that these are two different people and yet it's me, it's who I am, it's the person who wants to thrive who wants to survive who wants to make a difference who wants to be happy and joyful you can only do so much of that before you have to look at that inner critic and heal them maybe even release them from the the position that they're in wow that's all she was as identified as is all of that stuff how could she grow so you
1: have created now in a sense a healthy relationship with your shadow side?
2: Right. I had to give her a voice. I had to not ignore her. I had to not shame her. I had to not pretend like she didn't exist because now I'm living this life, right? I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to be healthy. I want to be vibrant and all of that. There's sure as hell no way for her to fit into that. So then I'm just basically abandoning her and making her feel like I used to feel when I was younger. Dang Dang it. I I don't want to do that. So part of healing and going through the root cause and releasing all of that was healing my relationship with her. Allowing her to feel loved. Allowing her to feel nurtured. Allowing to be proud of her. She was the survivor, right? Yeah, so how do you do that? Like, can you give me an example of what that would look like? Well, part of that was going through and releasing the root cause, releasing shame, releasing guilt. I had to go in and do that in order to now, I guess, honor that's what she was. It's crazy. So, It's crazy. Then being able to take her, heal her, nurture her, let her know she's loved. You know, I don't, too many years I chastised her.
0: You know, Denver. I chastised
2: her for feeling weak. I chastised her and made her feel awful because she wasn't growing up. She wasn't getting over what happened to her. None of that stuff. And and basically all she was saying is, don't leave me behind. Oh, okay. So bringing her with me, letting her know that she's nurtured, letting she know she's loved, letting her know how proud I am of everything that she's done. And And we talked about this, how... In that, I was even able to give her a quote-unquote promotion, give her a different role in my life. Yeah, explain that. Explain
1: what that means, that you promoted your inner critic.
2: Yeah, so giving her a role of now honoring when she does point out red flags because she's the master of seeing when people are not going to treat you well. She's the master of seeing those that may harm you or not respect you or that. And now I can pay attention to that and say, oh, I'm feeling that little angst inside or whatever, where before I would have pushed it down or said, oh, I'm just being overly critical or I'm being just judgmental. No, now I'm like pausing and like, huh, thank you. I'll pay attention to them more. I'll pay attention to the situation a little bit closer. And as soon as I do that, then that feeling or that vibration or that energy of angst or that just calms down because she knows, okay, she heard me. She's paying attention and, and we're going to go through this together. And it's just been a game changer. You know, that doesn't work every day because some days you just wake up and you feel like crap. You just do and there's nothing that no, – no sunshine in the world is going to make you feel good. And that's all right. That's the day you just say – I got you, Trudy. Hmm. We'll rest today. Hmm. I love
1: you. So in diving in, dealing with those deep-rooted emotions, dealing with those thoughts and beliefs, understanding the triggers, by doing that work, you have empowered your subconscious, which impacts everything. You've empowered your subconscious to play an actual, you've actually empowered it to be a more substantial role than the role you were trying to stop it from being
2: right exactly and there's some days still I use the metaphor of driving a car there's some days that Trudy's really like amping up her game she's really like wanting to be in control of the day and I'll just say look Trudy I hear what you're feeling and I want you to know you can either ride in the passenger seat or you can get in the trunk, but no matter what I'm driving, you're still going with me. You get to choose where you sit in the vehicle because sometimes we have to. We have to not let that take us over to get through your day, but that took, that takes practice. It takes practice to know when that subconscious is triggering you because you're not feeling good about yourself. You're not feeling good about your situation. You're not feeling good about the results that you're getting and knowing when you're just tired that day and those thoughts are coming up. Or are you falling into old behaviors of pattern? Are you are you kind of scared for your next step forward? So then that's when that voice comes and starts to tell you all the reasons why it's not going to work. Thank you for your advice. Thank you. I'll take that into consideration as I step forward because it's building a new relationship with that part of yourself, that subconscious unconscious mind that has to be practiced. Like the toothbrush example I gave earlier Yeah. So let's
1: talk about the difference. I mean, one of the things I wanted to say, which is pertinent to your experience, you know, going through sexual abuse as a five-year-old, that had nothing to do with you at all. (laughs) And yet one of the things that I have just pondered endlessly about and have been so drawn to different Survivor shows and people who have overcome hard aspects of life if you have truly survived something it's amazing to me and you hear it like in the documentary with all the gymnasts recently that came out it's on netflix they all felt shame for something that was being done to them they had nothing to do with it they were the wrong person or they were the wrong person in the wrong place you as a five-year-old none of that is on you i was an 18 year old on a camping trip i get bit by a tick Alters my life forever. That wasn't specifically about me. Right. But that aspect of the shame and guilt that comes on you as a victim, as someone who's being oppressed, as someone who's being denied medical care, that stuff is so powerful. Yes. And it's so confusing to me because we. it doesn't matter if you're a military guy dealing with PTSD or a gymnast who has been abused, or a fi- innocent five year old who has been victimized. For some reason, we take it on, we relive right. it, we
2: make it our responsibility. And we do that enough, then we we don't know how to divorce it, right? Because it becomes our identity, even if we don't like it, even if even if we're like done with it, we're like I'm so over this, yeah. you know. But it becomes who we are, and. You know, it's, it's interestingly, even if you've never been taught shame, consciously, there may be examples in our lives of where we were expected to be a certain thing or a certain way. And then when something disrupts that, we feel like we're failing. We feel like it's our fault. You didn't go out and purposely look for a tick to say, man, I'll take a chance with this one and see if nothing happens to me. Right. No, not at all. Yet, we then take on all of the ownership of that experience and blame ourselves for it. And that's, that's where we have to do the work. That's where we have to look at where did that belief come from? That this is my fault or that I am responsible for this. Because we can look at all the rational, logical reasons why all of that happened. That's not the part that's destroying us. Yeah. It's the part that we've labeled as I'm no good. I'm bad. It's my fault this happened. And that is a process to get out of.
1: So you had said something about the difference because really, in my, in what we're talking about here is transforming your life, right? Mm-hmm. Transforming your emotions, transforming your subconscious, transforming your life. But you had talked about the difference between transforming and transcending. Mm. And I'd like to talk about that as far as our conclusion for this episode is, in my mind, I've been focused on transformation. So what is the difference between transforming a situation and transcending
2: it? The the way I'm going to see is transforming, and I'm just coming to you real intuitive right now, not over our conversation we had, because I feel like this is kind of an important thing here transforming is something that you're trying to move away from okay you know like I don't want to be this anymore so I want to transform into something like this transcending is moving through moving through and going on taking your next step because Mm. I don't want anybody to take their story and not be able to to make an impact on other people's lives that's transcendence Is when you can take a story, a situation, you can heal from it, you can grow from it, you can learn from it, and then you can teach it to others. You can share it with others. You can help. I know that that's Mm -hmm. what you're doing. You're helping people to not have to be in bed for two years, maybe, right? Maybe you've gone through all of that to shorten their time to six months. I don't know. But is that not amazing? That's what transcendence is. That's like you're taking it all with you. You're, you're not st- staying married to the story. You're learning from the story, growing from the story, and being able to teach the story to others mm. who are at the very beginning of their journey. That's where you leave a legacy. I love that. Transforming is part of the transcendence you know, like when you think of a butterfly, a butterfly is transforming. It goes from the caterpillar through all of the stuff into a butterfly. Transcendence is now the butterfly teaching the other ones how to do it.
1: Powerful stuff, man. It really is. I mean, right? You're living proof of it. You're doing it. You see it. I, I'm sure you have. We haven't even talked about your radio show. Oh my gosh. We haven't talked about the fact that That you have a radio show and you get to do this and help people. And I know you have your, your coaching clients and all sorts of examples of what you're seeing. You're seeing the empowerment of people taking control of their lives, dealing with their inner self, their inner critic, and then figuring out how to leverage it and change it for something that serves them.
2: Right. And just like you, I mean, we could probably agree on this. That There is no greater joy, no greater high, no greater experience in the world when you can see it click for that client or that person who just you can see it physically in their body, in their eyes, even when something just switches and it's like, hmm. I got this. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know right now. Yeah. And it's like, you just, you have just witnessed a miracle. As far as I'm concerned to see that somebody now has met themselves where they are and are ready to fly. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You see their power, you see they've tapped into their own power source. Yeah.
1: And I from my perspective that's usually what it is entails is it's just tapping into the power and the strength that's already there. Getting yes. shoving away all the stuff, evaluating the meaning of the words we're using and then figuring out what works for you. Wow. All right. Well, tell us where all our listeners can find you and hear about you. And I know it's at strengthandsensitivity.com. Yep, that's it. Strengthandsensitivity.com. And then tell us about your radio show.
2: So I'm on the Donnie Walker morning show. It's called Getting Through the Week. It's every morning. If you're in California, it's at 6 a.m. It's a little early in the morning to catch it live. Otherwise, on my strength and sensitivity website, there's a media site and you can catch every recording from the week that we do. And it's just priceless coaching, basically, you know, giving people tools and tactics and reminders of how amazing you are, how amazing and powerful you are. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. We just need to have our cups filled up again.
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's so true. Tell me. Tell us, in a sense, who your ideal client is. Who is the person who could benefit from you the most? Because I already have my coaching clients are people who are fighting for their lives and trying to figure out the next step to healing. But I already want to send so many of them to you because the mindset piece is so key.
2: My ideal client is somebody who's open to, you know, one of the... I used to think my ideal client was myself, right? Because like I knew myself, that sounds so egotistical, I know. But I'm like, crap, it'll never be me because that old me was the one that would never ask for help, that um... would never ask. So that's not my ideal client. My ideal client is like, I'm willing, I'm, I'm willing to try, even if I don't know, even if I'm scared that, I mean, that's one of the hardest things about coaching somebody is getting them to come to their first appointment because what's happening is their inner critic is the one that's saying, Hey, you know what? Just push a little harder. Just do a little bit more. Just do this other thing. Oh, you don't really want them to see who you really are. And do you really want to see who you are? There's all of that fear and nonsense noise that keeps people from showing up from taking that step. And then when they show up, and it's a conversation like what you and I've had today they're like, why was I so afraid? And I get that. So for me, the ideal client is somebody who knows that they, they want more for their life. They, they know that they've gone through some stuff in their life and they want to move past it. They want to they wanna heal. And they're willing to be open to seeing if this is something that could help them do that.
1: All right. For those of you listening, you do not have to have tons of energy you do not have to have everything figured out. You just simply have to be open. And like you said, at the very beginning, if you are sick of being sick of whatever you're sick of. (laughs) Yes. If you're sick of being filled with anxiety, if you are sick of having negative emotions, control the outcome of your life, or maybe it's special events like that's a real thing, too. You have triggers and anxiety around certain events. And so you manifest and don't function the way you want to. Maybe specifically you function the way you have been trained to or programmed to.
2: Right. Who doesn't who could benefit from a coach? When I think of the show Rocky, Rocky was trying to be a fighter on his own. But when he got a coach, he had somebody who could see things that he couldn't see. Mm. Right. He because the coach isn't as personally involved as the. You are with your own situation. Remember, we talked about it not being personal. The medical system is a facility. It's a process. It's a function. But it's personal because it's you going through that. And sometimes having that coach, like I'm sure that you do with your clients, no doubt, is you're just a step behind to remove to see the whole process to keep them taking their steps forward and cheering their success when they do that. Yeah. Yeah. That is something I absolutely love. I get text
1: messages from different coaching clients throughout the years. And, I mean, I've been talking to people for eight years, but I've been coaching for five. And I will get text messages from people on the top of a mountain or on their favorite lake that they haven't been able to get to for years or out with friends for the first time. And that, to me, I'm just like, that is so – the thing I love the most is, like, you're with – You get to be with them as they make very hard decisions that I wish no one had to make. You shouldn't have to fight for your life. You shouldn't have to go back and deal with this stuff that was done to you unfairly or unjustly. And yet that's part of overcoming it is going back and not letting it own you. And so that's just so powerful to be there with people in their crisis, but then also be there in some way, you know, within their victories. That to me is just huge.
2: Right. Well, I mean, it goes, and you probably teach on the primal four primal needs of life, you know, I mean, that's kind of what we're going through. We have a need for certainty. We have a need for uncertainty, which, you know, your need isn't, Hey, I need to go get bit by a tick because you know, my life is so boring right now. No, that was an unexpected thing that happened. Kind of like with last year that happened and we have a need for significance. We have a need to to be heard, to be understood, to be visible, you know. we ha- And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And we have a need for love and connection. Well, and and not- so not having to go through this alone is mm. no shame, no shame.
1: Yeah. And I actually I think that's some of the best parts of coaches is that they coaches on whatever level have been through it and can meet you where you're at and then take you to that next step. Thank you so much for being here. We could talk endlessly. This is going to be a crazy long episode because it it all matters and it's worth talking about. Thank you so much for your time. And sharing your stories of vulnerability and doing what you're doing and helping people overcome this stuff. Because this mental, this side of things, if you don't deal with this, you may or may not leave a legacy. You may or may not maintain relationships. It's that important.
2: Right. That is how you play the game of life.
0: Oh.
2: Yeah. That's how you play it. What? The The mental aspect. Everything else is just part of the game. You know, getting up, going to work every day, hitting the red lights. You know, when you're letting the game play you and when you're playing the game, when the game plays you, it's Mm -hmm. when you get mad that you've hit every red light on the way to work. When you cannot let that red light irritate you, get you mad, get you flustered, get you anxious, get you stressed out, you're winning at life. You're playing the game and winning. I am
1: going to end with a quote. That's so pertinent, and I don't even remember where I heard it from, but it says, if you play the part of a pawn, expect to get picked up. Oh, that's brilliant. Yes. So if you are playing the part of a pawn and you do not like the hand you are dealt or where you are getting played, call Dr. Brown. She can help you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll play a better game. Yeah, let's just play a better game, right? That's, that's, that is such as life. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Disease is contrary to life. Therefore, wherever disease exists, life must also fight to exist.
0: Good job fighting, Lyme fighters. Keep it up. We'll see you next time. Lime Voice contains general information about medical conditions and treatments. The information is not advice and should not be treated as such. Okay, Lincoln? Okay. The medical information on Line Voice is provided as is without any representations, warranties, expressed or implied. Okay? Okay. Line Voice makes no representations or warranties in relation to the medical information on this podcast. You must not rely on the information on this podcast as an alternative to medical advice from your doctor or other professional health care provider. If you have any specific questions about your medical matter, you should consult your doctor or or other professional health care provider. And for you, you consult your parents, okay? Okay. If you think you may be suffering from any medical condition, you should seek immediate medical attention. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment because of information on this podcast. Got it, Lincoln? Got it.